0: So we're in the middle of uh, the season of Lent, and I hope, not the middle, but we're kind of beginning. We're in the second week, second Sunday of Lent. Lent is this time of, um, of honesty, of coming to grips with our own longing, with our own frailty, with our humanness. It's finding Jesus and journeying alongside with Jesus in the desert and being okay with it. Being okay with the fact that we are often the ones that Jesus said he came to the sick, the ones in need, um, and so, uh, so even when we sang, you know, that how long um, that comes from Psalm 40, it's, a, it's this holding together the story of God's faithfulness, but also our longing for a deeper redemption than we often see, um, and so, so we embrace that during the season of, of Lent, and, and, uh, and the idea that things, the reality is that things aren't, aren't right in the world. It's the reality. There is there are so many gaps, uh, and, and to trust Jesus means to at once be honest on one side, but also to trust that, that Jesus is doing something in the midst of that. And so what we're taking during these weeks is we are looking at some of the ways and the stories in the gospel of Jesus' healing actions, all right, where Jesus heals in some way or another, and most of those are, are physical in the things that we're going to be looking at. And so I just wanted to, to mention, because of the angle that we are taking this at, um, some of us, when we think about these stories, you might find yourself locked into the physical healing part, just like having trouble getting away from that because maybe you've come out of some sort of a story that said that if you have enough, uh, enough faith, that you will be healed in a physical way um, and that that's kind of always what happens if you have enough faith. Um, many of us have come through that to realize that <laughs> God's not a spiritual ATM. And, and it just does not, there's, there's more mystery to it all than that. Um, but I just want to kind of name that, that I, I do think there are moments throughout history, uh, throughout our, our, our culture, throughout the, the um, story of the church, where God has brought healing um, in physical ways. But when Jesus came into the world and went around from town to town, healing people and talking about God's kingdom, each healing, it's really important for us to know this, each healing was intended to alert the world around them to the fact that God was doing something new with this kingdom of God that Jesus was obsessed with talking about. So every time that we encounter healing, it's intended to point people toward Jesus, not toward the healing itself, but toward who Jesus is and what the big macro story of the whole scriptures is all about. And it's important that we understand that because that story is to help people take notice that God was coming to redeem and restore all things, right? So the healings are are signs of something greater and something more ultimate. It was a complete reshuffling of how the world works. Um, It was a a complete, uh, it was a glimpse into something bigger. So bodies were healed, but they got sick again. You know that, right? they, They got sick again. Lazarus was even raised from the dead. That's a little further down the. In, in the journey in, in Lent, but then where we're at. But like, you know he died again, right? Like these were incredible moments that were intended to give a glimpse to what God was going to do on a bigger scale, on a, on a larger, more, more global reality. Um, and so, so these are tiny glimpses, even, <laughs> even a raising from the dead of, of a, a healing story were a glimpse of what God wanted to ultimately and was at work to ultimately do in Jesus. Um, so in these conversations with what we're doing, we are letting it be bigger. We're letting each physical healing story point us toward one area that God wants to restore us and restore our world in a larger way. Does that make sense? So, uh, and this is, this is often how rabbinical teaching worked um, among the, the Jewish faith, where you would look at a passage of the story and you'd say, okay, what happened? But also, what is God speaking in a broad way through this action? right? Like, what, what is Jesus when he does this or that? Like, what's, what's the bigger point he wants people to walk away with? Um, because he often goes back and says, don't you remember that moment? <laughs> You're supposed to learn something a little more than maybe you did. Um, so, so this is what we, we have happening over and over again. So we're not playing name it and claim it here, okay? Um, we're not treating God as spiritual ATM, but we can go so far on this side, so far on this side that that we don't actually trust that God can bring healing in most anyways. So Jesus becomes a great example to follow, but not a powerful force of true transformation in our life to trust. So, so that's the balance that can happen when we say, well, yeah, but that was then. Like, let's not lose the fact that God's heart is to restore, often in dynamic, radical, and mystical ways. All right, so here we go. This week, we're going to talk about... Um, we're going to talk about leprosy, because there's a story in uh, actually all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, that tell the same story of this guy who has leprosy. And spoiler alert, he gets healed. Uh, but so Jesus interacts with this guy, and, and let me tell you just a little bit about leprosy. Now, now just uh, one disclaimer, in the scriptures when we're talking about lepers, um, most skin diseases were called leprosy. In ancient times, so um, there was definitely carryover to today's Hansen's disease, which is also known as leprosy. Uh, but but uh, it was it was broader than that because there was just so little knowledge that was that was available. But let me tell you a few things about leprosy because uh, it's it's fascinating and what it does is uh, is really is really horrible. But it's important to know because of what happens in the story. So here's here's your background. So leprosy is a skin infection. But what it does is it affects the nerve endings in your skin, all right? Um, so it leads to a loss of feeling, all right? So if you have leprosy, as it takes root and as it starts to, to express itself in your body, you lose the ability to feel things. You, your your um, nerve endings are, um, are damaged and, uh, and, and you're not aware of hot, cold, anything like that, pain even. And so, um, so what happens is you, without feeling pain, people end up injuring themselves on, you name it, fire, thorns, rocks, even like today, hot coffee cups. So someone that has leprosy can burn their hand badly and not even be aware of it. Um, and so injuries then become infected as a result of that tissue loss. So you get all of these things that happen as a result, not of leprosy itself, but of the inability to feel. Okay? And so, so that's, that is a foundational point um, uh, about what that is. And, um, you know, fingers and toes and limbs become shortened and deformed as the tissue gets absorbed into the body. So, uh, if you're squeamish, just don't look at the screen for a moment. Okay? So, let's, let's go ahead and just show you a glimpse of... It's not like goopy or anything. Go ahead, Brian. Um, but, so, you can see skin lesions here, but the end result of leprosy is actually that, that tissue becomes absorbed by the body, okay? And so so it's a horrible, horrible disease when it takes root, okay? Um, but the biggest marker is the inability to feel pain. We won't keep that up too long. You can go to the next one, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Uh, but um, but what happened in... So by the way, there's uh, fewer than 200,000 cases globally now of, of leprosy. So it has really... Um, moved toward being eradicated, um, even just in the last 20 years, massive amount of of change in in global numbers, but it is still a reality in several parts of the world, Um, not particularly in the United States anymore. But when you got leprosy um, in the ancient Near East, then when it was diagnosed, one of the things that happened was that you were forced to live outside of the city, outside of community, and so often you had to live um, with other people that were were banished. or, and, and sometimes this would be for an entire lifetime because there were no easy cures at the time. The fascinating thing is that leprosy itself actually is not that contagious. You can't get leprosy from breathing the same air. You can't get leprosy from shaking a hand. You have to have significant physical contact over a long period of time. We're not talking about COVID. We're talking about something that, that, um, that was not easily transmitted. So what's fascinating is you get stories like Naaman in 2 Kings, and Naaman has leprosy, but he's also a general in the army, and he's got power. So he's never, he never leaves anywhere. He continues. He just wears armor. So, so because he wasn't passing it on to anybody, but also because he was privileged. And so, so anyways, you get these little glimpses in, in the story. But often, the, you were not only physically considered ill, but you were ceremonially, because you had illness, you were ceremonially considered unclean. So there were things, it wasn't just that you couldn't live within the city limits, but you also couldn't worship in the temple. You couldn't offer sacrifices in synagogue. And so during that, the reality of those things meant that you then weren't right with God, according to the Jewish law. And so you couldn't be right if you were sick. So, so it led to, so, so there, it started with numbness, but then it led to, isolation and disconnection and then it also led to a not right relationship with God now that's not legit right Jesus came and broke down those barriers like like but but you need to understand what the attitude was toward lepers so they were not only you're going to get sick but they were ceremonially not allowed to be around people because they were unclean because they were far and distant from God as well um and so so it's it's fascinating um And but there was so much, so much stigma. Uh, So so the point being with all this stigma is that the numbness that started physically became a social numbness in so many lepers as well. This existence that was dry and isolated um, and kind of dead inside. Uh, Oh, one more thing. This is really fascinating. the average time between, like, being exposed and getting infected, and it actually affecting you, is anywhere between five and twenty years. Which is crazy. So you can be exposed, you can actually have it in you, but it doesn't take root for a long time. There's a whole sermon in there, by the way. Something comes into us and doesn't take root for so long, you know, um, but it's there because it hasn't been eradicated yet uh, within us. So, okay. So here we go. We're going to walk through this passage. It's in uh, Mark one. And um, it's only five verses, so it's it's very very simple. Um, it's in Mark one chapter forty. And uh, by the way, this is in the middle of Jesus doing kind of um, a healing tour. But here's the thing: he's he's always willing to heal, but we find out over and over again that he keeps saying, "But this is not like the point of why I came. It's a sign to what I want to be doing and and proclaiming. But it's not like the ultimate point of why I came." Um, but early in the morning. While it was still dark, nope, that's the wrong one. That was Jesus praying in a solitary place. So his day starts with prayer. That's probably an important point for us to uh, to lean into. Um, so he goes into the villages. He says, "I want to go there, so we can." That's why. So I have come uh, to preach there in all these various areas. That's why I've come. So they travel throughout Galilee. In verse forty, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, "If you are willing, you can make me clean." So a guy comes to him full of faith, right, full of faith, saying, I, whatever I've heard about you, I know that you're able to do this. It's similar to the centurion that comes to Jesus and says, hey, um, you know, I know you have authority, just say the word, right? And Jesus, by the way, praises that guy's faith. So I, I always like to pick the hardest passages, because this is in, only in Mark do we have this next sentence, and it's, it's right there. It says, Jesus was indignant, all right. Uh, so, so we look at this, we say, what on earth was going on? Uh, just, just in case you're reading this on your own and being like, why would Jesus be indignant about a statement like that? So there is a ton of debate over what that word actually means um, because often it's translated as moved with compassion. <laughs> but what it means is he was agitated in his spirit, like, like, like he was emotionally moved in some way. And while it can mean, like, angry or indignant, the the reality is pretty much that there is, I mean, nobody thinks that Jesus would get angry at a guy for saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Like, even if he was like, am I willing? Like, nobody really thinks that Jesus is super upset about this. What people think is, number one, either that the translation should mean, like, moved with compassion, because it means agitated emotionally, or that if he was indignant, it was indignant at seeing the reality of pain and suffering right in front of him and in the world, knowing that this man had been cast out of his own society and his, his dealing with leprosy, losing the ability to feel, all right? So um, so that's your, your background, So because someone's going to be like, well, what's that all about if we just breeze over it? Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I am willing He said, be clean. Now take note of the word he uses. He says, be clean, right? And if he was sick and he says, be clean, then we can see that Jesus is fully aware that when he brings healing, he doesn't just say be healed. He says, be clean because this guy was unclean. So so Jesus knows that what he's doing is going to have implications far beyond the guy no longer having leprosy. It's what it means when he no longer has leprosy that's going to be important. But he says, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. So we're just going to pause right there. Um, what I think is fascinating about the willingness and the faith of this guy as he walks up is the fact that he that he comes and, and regardless of what we want to do with the physical stuff, he knows that encountering Jesus is going to be a transformative experience for him. If you're willing, you can make me clean. He knows that if I encounter Jesus, I, can, I will walk away differently. And there's something there that is so beautiful about the desperation and where he takes his desperation to that I think that we can, can grow from. He knows enough about Jesus to know that Jesus can make a difference in his reality. Um, And then the second thing that we need to notice, just in a cursory reading of this, is uh, Jesus' willingness to touch. We are told explicitly that he reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now, according to all of the rules, there were two things that happened. Number one, a holy man could not do this, period, because it was disgracing himself. But secondly, because of the way that the flow of germs and the flow of spiritual germs happened, the unclean thing always makes the clean thing unclean. But in this story, the clean thing makes the unclean thing clean. All right? And so there's a reversal of the way that things are that happens in this moment. So instead of Jesus not only getting leprosy, or but, but being declared unclean and being unable to... to continue, you know, being, walking around or whatever. It's the opposite that happens. So this man's leprosy somehow physically, we assume, is healed. Um, I mean, yes, physically, but I mean some, probably some way that you could physically see maybe lesions disappear or maybe um, strength return or maybe the ability to feel in his fingertips, something like that again. Um, But it's, it's powerful. So what Jesus' touch does is he restores feeling, but he also restores connection, because if this man is clean it means that he will eventually be able to rejoin society. And we'll talk about that in the, com- in the, the final verses right at the end. <sighs> Jesus goes out and he touches the untouchables. He touches the people in the society um, that were not deserving according to the world around them of care or attention. God goes to them. And it's really important that God goes to them in their numbness and touches. And so what might God want to speak to us today if we are also to see a story like this as symbolizing something broader? Uh, we, have our own, we have our own type of numbness that leads to isolation, don't we? And it comes from a whole lot of different ways. And I'm, I want to touch a couple of them, and I'm probably going to miss most of them. But I want to hit just a few of the ways that numbness takes root in our lives, all right? And so, <laughs> there's no whiteboard over there. Talk about you all having trouble. <coughs> um, so, so I'm going to give you some images, and, and you, I want you to connect the dots in your own life, but some of the ways that numbness can take root in us. Um, the first one is too much pain for too long. If you've ever been in a situation, where you've had um, a consistent amount of pain in, in, an, in like a physical injury, you'll notice that if the pain gets to a certain point, your body actually shuts down its ability to receive that pain. So most of you know I, I like to run for really far. And if I get a blister on my foot, it starts to really hurt while I run. But if I keep running and run another hour and then run another hour, you know what ends up happening? It's kind of gross. What ends up happening is my foot stops feeling that pain so acutely. But the damage continues to be done as the skin separates from the rest of the, the foot, right? And so, so I, I, in some way, I lose feeling because the pain has been so great that otherwise you're going to like pass out from something or or whatever. So, sometimes that does happen, but sometimes the body begins to just kind of shut down the pain receptors when you've experienced so much pain or it's too acute. And so, so, I want you to think about that because so many times in our life, the reason that we have a numbness in our in our lives, the reason that we feel like we can't feel things is often because we experienced pain and it did not resolve and it has continued on and on and on and we've just continued to push through it. And I, that doesn't, I don't mean that in an accusatory way, but I mean sometimes the only way and what Jesus offers us in, in moments where um, too much pain for too long, what Jesus offers us is... Simply rest. When Jesus says, come to me with your burdens, with, that, with your pain, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying that you can come and be honest to me about what hurts. And in my running analogy, if, if I finally stop and give attention to that pain, and let my body rest, and name it, and own it, and pay attention to it, then I can begin to give it a chance to heal. Um, and so sometimes what we just need is permission to name the pain that has made us kind of numb in life, that has, that has drawn us away from a vibrant faith, something like that. And just to name it first and then to receive the rest that Jesus offers. So, so that's often one of the, the um, areas that, that pain kind of takes root in us. The second one um, is, uh, let me get this right in the, in the right order, The second one is too much information. You know what I'm doing, hopefully. Um, It's a cell phone, right? So so the, the way that too much information leads us to numbness is if you are confronted by a steady flow of information that never lets up, often bad news never lets up, Often mocking whatever the other is, never lets up. And all of a sudden, you find yourself becoming aware of situations and becoming aware of, of um, tragedies sometimes, becoming aware of the brokenness of the world, and it doesn't even affect you anymore. There's a breeze, another, another school shooting, right? Another mistreatment, another, um, wh- whatever, another earthquake, right? another stat about the realities of poverty Um, and you're not even moved a little bit anymore and it's not because you don't want to care but it's just because you are so inundated with so much all the time that it's just like your body just does not have the energy and now there are very very important rules about boundaries that as as healthy Christ followers we need to understand but part of that is the reality that if we are to be compassionate people then the way to do that is not to just be exposed to a million bad events all the time. So what Jesus offers us and invites us into is, and what we see in Jesus' life all the time, is particular compassion. The question, great question was raised last week about, like, at the pool of Bethesda, did Jesus heal everybody, or why not? Right? And, and so we don't know the whole story, and there's mystery, and we don't have to figure that out. Um, but, but I think it's important to know that Jesus was constantly moved toward particular compassion while we know feeling love and care for the entire world. And what I mean by particular compassion, like when Matthew, Matthew 25, Jesus gives an image to his disciples about who's been truly faithful. And it's a surprise because some people are like, yeah, I knew you. And you're like, and Jesus is like, but you didn't like care about me when I came to you through all of these other people. And others were like, wait, why are we, why are you so happy with us? And he's like, because I was hungry and you fed me, because I was um, naked and you clothed me, because I was in prison and you visited me. All of these things. And, and so what Jesus says is, listen, I, it's great if you say that you want to be a compassionate person, but find an action that you can do with real people in real places. And one of the things that I think is absolutely crucial if we want to move away from the numbness of too much information is to say, what's one way? one thing that I can actually do to show love in a simple way that crosses some sort of a border, some sort of a boundary. Is it going to the clothing bank of Delaware in Wilmington and just spending an hour sorting clothes? It's a great experience. And it reminds us that there are real needs that we can be a part of. Is it um, joining in the work of prison care and writing some letters or choosing to pray or choosing to give money? to change prison culture that impacts people's lives forever? What, what, is, what are particular ways? Maybe it's, it's in your own life, but if you look and you see something and it's just too much information, we have to ask our question, okay, Lord, what one thing can I do? Because we often just do nothing because there's too much. We don't feel anything anymore because there's just so much need and so much hurt in the world. Uh, I think, uh, do, do I have the James passage? Did I throw that up here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, James says, suppose a brother or sister, this is just just hammering this in, is without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, this can be really guilt tripping, right? Because some of you, if you're walking down the city street, if you work in Wilmington, that happens to you like all the time, right? So there's a balance about what that means, but I think the, the heart of this is suggesting that, listen, we can't just try to have nice feelings about people without actually backing it up with true, compassionate actions toward justice and care. So what's one thing, one way that you can be an agent of God's redemption in the world? One of the things that we say at Life Path is that we have these, our, our mission um, is threefold, right? It's to reconnect people to Jesus, right? To one another and to God's redemptive work in the world. All right. And so the way that we want people to be able to do that as as people of LifePath, we want people to be able to say, "Here's my way of connecting with Jesus. Here's where I go deeper to for heart transformation with Jesus. Here's how I'm in real relationship with other people that help help me grow and point toward toward God's heart. And here's one way that I'm actually involved in God's redemptive mission in the world." We would love every single person at LifePath to be able to name those three things. What are some spiritual formation practices that are helpful for you? Who are you in relationship with that can encourage you in your own journey with God? And what practical way are you involved in God's heart for the world, compassionately? Like, that is, that's beautiful, but we can't just say that we want to be. We have to make some steps, and that often you'll find numbness melting away because you're starting to care about people, and they have names, (laughs) and you've used your hands. Um, So, all right, uh, next one. Let's keep going. All right, this one's closer, but see if you can... See if you can tell the difference. All right. How about this? All right. Yeah. So there is a numbness that comes from too much busyness in our lives. There's a numbness that sets in because there is too much to do all the time. You look at your schedule on your phone, and you're getting notifications all the time, and your work And your family deadlines are all over the place and you're super stressed and the goal becomes survival of the day. I know that this is your reality because sometimes it's mine and because I talk to some of you. And I hear the reality that is so overwhelming sometimes. And you just don't have time to feel because you are constantly focused on the next thing that has to be done. Um, And what does Jesus offer to his disciples in the midst of this? In the midst of one of the busiest times, it's right in, embedded in the Feeding of the 5,000 story. Jesus tells his disciples, Come away with me. Let's cross to the other side. And he sends his disciples up ahead sometimes, and he models this idea of withdrawing to the lonely places. Literally, the lonely places in the desert, or in the, in the New Testament, is the word dessert, uh, deserted places, the same word for desert. So Jesus withdraws to desert places, which is what the season of Lent is. Um, But he tells them also to count the cost of following him, to be intentional about their time and what they want to use it for. He tells them also to consider the flowers of the field and the birds of the air and to evaluate their relationship with worry and work and time. Reflect on it. Take time to dwell. Take time to delight. And some of you type A's are going to love this. Maybe make some lists. Right? Maybe make the list of what truly matters in my life. How is the time that I'm spending lining up to these values? What is worth giving my time and energy to? I know how many of us are aware of how finite our time is. Scriptures talk about being a breath or a blade of grass. That's our existence. Sometimes we need to hear that, just like we need to hear the fact that we are eternal (laughs) and and destined to live with God forever. We need to also remember that we're also grass. And so let's evaluate our relationship with time. What to don'ts need to be added to your to-do list? Like, what do you need to add? Not to do. To make space for the stuff that matters the most. Um so that you can live abundantly with a rhythm of spirit awareness, so that you can feel again. By the way, I know it's super far away. How low is this going to go? <laughs> okay. I know it's super, super far away, but next year, after Easter, when we are, when I'm going to be on sabbatical and we are going to be journeying toward congregational renewal at the same time, we have some things that are in the works set up for each of you to experience the beautiful season of rest that comes from getting away with Jesus, and we're underwriting it, and it's just going to be awesome. So I hope you stick around for a few more months at Life Path so that you can uh, get that invitation when the time comes. It's not for a while, but plans are in the works, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to do exactly what we're talking about right here. Um, Bring some feeling back by addressing the numbness that comes from busyness, comes from too much. All right, and now the hard one. You know this is coming. All right. There is a numbness. I'm just going to erase something that looks like something I don't want to put on a whiteboard right now. There we go. I get text messages from some of you that don't have clean minds about my imagery sometimes. OK. I don't even have to say it. You know who you are. Um, all right. Because you're the ones that just laughed. Um, selfishness there's a numbness that sets in because sometimes our our way of living has become very selfish it's about us and we're just i mean nobody likes to use these words but let's just talk about it it's rebellion right like we get this rebellious spirit against god's heart and and i think we've heard this used in so many unhealthy ways that it's hard to actually address it but there's times in our lives that we're just kind of very self-focused you have a bad day and you snap at somebody that had nothing to do with it right You're struggling in one area of your life so you begin to rely on food or phones or Netflix or alcohol just a little too often to deal and you do not like it if someone notices and mentions it. Right? It's inevitable. When we make choices that move us away from God's heart and and God's hope for us and for the world, we often tend to rationalize it in a lot of ways and we get calloused for a season. We have trouble admitting that our life needs like recalibration, reorientation, um, because we lack the humility to admit that we're a little off course. Uh, The scriptures often call it hard-heartedness. In my life, I like to call it, leave me alone, I don't want to talk about it, don't tell me what to do-ishness. But hard-heartedness is easier to pronounce. Um, In Ezekiel, people are kind of going off the hook with this personal idolatry, of moving away from God's heart, of mistreating people, um, community violence, injustice, neglect of others. So in every direction, they were just not focused on the things of God's heart. And, um, and so God kind of speaks through Ezekiel, and one of the images that he says is he, he, he calls them stone-hearted, or says hearts of stone, but it's in the midst of a promise. And the promise is that as you turn toward the things that matter, and you can see it up here on Ezekiel 11. As you turn toward the things that matter, um, I will bring you back and restore you again. And here's the language. I will give them, he's talking about his people, an undivided heart. Oh, shoot. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I was going to say, did I get the wrong translation up here? An undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. And he says it like this. I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It's this incredible imagery that as people, like we, we do things that kind of make our hearts kind of stone hearted, but the promise is that as we continue to journey toward God, that that heart of stone, and it's God's work that does it, the stone gets softened and it kind of breaks, and underneath it there's this fleshy heart that emerges again, a heart that can feel, a heart that can feel things, and there's beauty there, and there's grace, and there's forgiveness upon forgiveness, like this is, this is so Beautiful. And I just notice it's not about the person striving. Whenever we talk about repentance, it's literally just a turning toward. It doesn't mean repenting is not feel horrible about all you are and that you are immediately rotten. No, repentance is turning. And as we turn toward God, God says, I will do work in you. I just need availability. I will do work in you. I will take that hard heartedness and I will soften it and you will be filled with my love and then love for others again, which will take root in all sorts of different beautiful ways. Uh, so, So that's what Jesus offers us. Grace, freedom, constantly, over and over again. Renewal, the gift of a restored heart, fresh feeling, fresh faith, fresh compassion. So we move toward Jesus in all of these moments. It doesn't matter if the reason that you're numb is your fault because you've made choices or something else that's been done to you over the course of time and left you deeply wounded and having the difficulty to feel anything again. The invitation is to move toward Jesus and God does restorative renewal. God does the work. We have to be people of faith that believe that, that believe that God can actually truly renew us. Um, yeah, and, and so maybe a big part of this, by the way, one more piece of this hard um, the the kind of selfish focus that leaves us numb is to um, a practice is to adopt uh, Philippians 4:8, where uh, Paul is writing. Can you hop to that screen? Paul is writing to um, to the church in kind of some closing, the beginning of a closing section of thoughts, and he says to them, he says, "Listen," and and they're full of they're full of some fighting and other stuff. Whatever's true, noble, right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now. <laughs> Again, some of you with your Christian subculture baggage, like you were told that you could never watch like a certain show that I don't know had some type of jokes or like you couldn't go to a pg-13 you know movie or something like that and that was what this was used for and so you've got a real off-putting feeling about that because you felt like what it was doing was trying to control you and saying the outside world is all so evil and you just the only thing that you're allowed to do is say if the lord wills it and and use like really holy language and stuff like that fair good understood now get back to the heart of what the passage was about Because the heart of what the passage was about was saying that if you want to continue to move toward love and compassion, you're going to have to expose yourselves to things that point you toward love and compassion. (laughs) Okay? So instead of labeling all the reasons that a verse like this has been used to kind of siphon people off from the world around them and shelter them, take a look and say, are you actually spending time dwelling on good and beautiful ways of people expressing faith and of doing good things in the world? Are you equally inspired by that on your Twitter feed as much as you're annoyed by all the things that you're, you know, all of the critics that you like following because they, they give really good critiques? That's great. But if all you ever do is do things that frustrate you more and more and more, you're going to become more hard-hearted too if that's not balanced out with beautiful, lovely, noble things. So make sure that there is that input. All right. So you notice, by the way, how much of this involves time? The healing, like there's a time element to everything that we're talking about here. One of you um, who is not here right now uh shared with me this image a couple of years ago about kind of their, their own journey. And what you said was you felt like a pot of soil that had sat on the windowsill for years untouched. And you know what happens with that when you pour water on it? What happens to the water? It just stays, yeah, it just pools on top, right? just sits there. And the imagery was, that's kind of where I feel like I'm at and I'm just waiting to slowly have some things soak in. And, and with our own journey of numbness, sometimes it just takes time. Each of these um, solutions, uh, each of these w- invitations of Jesus to all of these areas of numbness, it takes time to name the pain that maybe has made you numb and address what healing might look like. It takes time to evaluate your relationship with distractions, with busyness, with, wait, what was the cell phone? Yes, right, it takes time to remove yourself, you know, to be still. It takes time to reevaluate your schedule. It takes time to say, all right, Lord, I have kind of gotten off track. I need to come back to your heart and and your ways and and recalibrate. Each of these things takes sitting in the spirit so that we kind of absorb Jesus' heart. Um, So when Jesus heals this man of his numbness, he brings back feeling. He allows for sensitivity once more. Even the ability to feel pain again, <laughs> which is its own conversation. But he also addresses his isolation. Um, the final part of the passage um, in Mark is that Jesus sent him away with a strong warning. See, you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. The, the don't tell yourself to this is because he was trying not to have too many people come around. Of course, the guy doesn't listen, and then Jesus isn't able to go into towns at all because of the crowds. So he has to stay on the hillsides, which probably in the long run didn't end up being bad because he preached a great sermon on a hillside. So, uh, but see, you don't tell But Go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice to Moses, commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Interestingly, the word to and against are the same word in Greek. So again, people don't know if he's saying as a testimony against them, because guess what? All they can do is just be like, yeah, you're healed, but they don't have any power to heal. <laughs> um, but, but the point was, he is saying, listen, he doesn't tell him to do this because he cares about kosher law so much. He tells him to do this because he knows that that's the pathway to reconnect with community. Make sure you go and have your healing validated so that you can rejoin the people you love. So that you can be fully embraced in community once again you don't have to prove yourself. I love this imagery for the church. That we are people who fully embrace and recognize that people are no longer unclean that they are fully welcomed into community with us, that Jesus is constantly working and bringing that cleanliness and, and that hope and that grace. Um, so there are communal elements to all of this, and then we're going to chat for maybe five minutes if anybody has any comments, or we'll just, uh, we'll just take a look at it. Um, to be a church that resists numbness, by moving forward with Jesus, it means naming together where pain has caused real damage. It means when we lament, we don't shy away from naming the fact that we are often hurt and wounded and walk, walking wounded, but also that the church has caused pain, that often we have not lived the Jesus way. Like, that's part of acknowledging as a community, but it's making a safe place for that. It means physically getting involved in God's mission, right, through service instead of just talking about it with too much information. It means together practicing sustainable rhythms in life and encouraging it in one another and not being a church that buys into the busyness model, but that buys into deep spiritual formation. Um... And it means taking this humble personal posture of admitting where we're off track, when we are off track, so that, um, so that we have a soft enough heart for Jesus that opens the door for other people to do the same thing. Um, making sure our way of seeing the world is not simply critical, but full of hope as well, and even having some innocence in God's goodness restored. Um, the body of Christ can be one of the most powerful agents of feeling, to bring feeling and connection back. But unfortunately, we can also be one of the most powerful agents to create numbness and isolation. So we got to own both of those things and move toward Jesus to be able to to find resolution. Um, This is complicated, not linear, all right, friends? We have seasons where we're doing all the right things and we still feel numb and we still go through a dark night. And it's just the way it is. But let's not ignore God's willingness to restore us because it's complicated sometimes. Um, and let's not miss the information, in the invitation in the midst of it all. So, Jesus, be with us, Lord. Uh, we know that this stuff is uh, complicated, and anytime we talk about healing, anytime we talk about numbness, uh, can bring up all sorts of things. So, I pray that you help bring to the surface what we need to hear. Uh, nothing more, uh, and that you help us grow together. Amen.